Hi, everybody. Welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm Justin. I'm Corinne. I'm James. And I'm Cleo. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing Stranger Things Season 2, created by the Duff Brothers. So what is a Stranger Things Season 2, Justin? (laughs) I'm glad you asked, James. (laughs) For those of you unfamiliar with the premise of Stranger Things, which might be what this summary is better served by addressing, go listen to our Stranger Things Season 1 podcast episode, or check it out on Netflix, because Stranger Things is a TV show on Netflix uh, set in the 80s that follows a group of children as they encounter uh, weird paranormal stuff that goes on in their hometown. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that um, I to to elaborate a little bit on something you just said, Corinne. Um, we should we should be kind of pretty upfront. Like, obviously, we're going to reference season one of Stranger Things. If you just came in and only watched season two, then God bless you. <laughs> but um, it, we're I, I think that we're going to avoid getting too far into the first season. But that said, if you are looking for that, we did do an episode about that about a year ago. Um, so if you want if you want more Stranger Things and you're just coming in now, uh, we do have that content for you live and ready to go. And I do think it's worth saying normally uh, we keep the beginning, the first half or so, however long, uh, free of spoilers. But I think it's fair to say this is going to be there are going to be spoilers for season one of Stranger Things from the get go. We're we're going to have to talk about how the season ended and where this picks up and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think we'll try and stay kind of vague, but yeah, there you'll you'll be able to piece some stuff together, I'd imagine. So we're starting off. We're we're in Hawkins. It's been a year because TV, and everything seems pretty okay at first. Yeah, the kids are being kids. Um, they're hanging out and having fun and going to arcades. Yeah, which is where we we get introduced to one of one of the seasons. Really, just kind of a handful of of new characters. Uh, which is which is Max, um, who is who is new in town. Let's say, yeah, um, mysteriously introduced to the boys first as um, the person who has stolen Dustin's Dig Dug crown, and they're in uh, in the scoreboard just as Mad Max. Which did Dig Dug really have a six digit thing for the high score? Because wow, I don't know, and I feel like I'm the top Dig Dug uh, aficionado of this group. And you, I don't know the answer you to that. Did always kill it at Barcade. Oh yeah, Dig Dug's one of my favorite arcade games. Dig Dug's I, I feel like Dig Dug gets like name checked a lot in a way that makes it seem like it wouldn't actually hold up. Like it feels like the kind of thing that like you reference to, to show you've got cred, it's not like it's not Pac-Man, it's one level beyond that. But no, real talk, Dig Dug's real good. Uh yeah, I'm going to take a bold statement here and say I like Dig Dug way better than Pac-Man. Ooh, that is a bold statement. I well, I probably, probably not, because the fact that you feel that way is not necessarily a bold <laughs> thing to say. You would know that better than anybody else. Uh, <laughs> I, now that I think about it, yeah, you didn't, you, you specifically said that you like that more than Pac-Man. I was like, I can't really argue with that, can I? Anyway, uh, not the Dig Dug podcast. Um, Could be. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, spoilers for Dig Dug. <laughs> um, <laughs> that should have been our play episode. Yeah, that would have been good. Anyway, so I, I guess, like, broadly speaking, Stranger Things Season 2... I will say one of the first things that, that I kind of want to talk about, just because it's one of the first things that you see, is I really liked the uh, the kind of the updates to the, the intro sequence. Like, specifically that they put, like, a big two behind the Stranger Things logo, and that they call the first episode of the second season, it's Stranger Things 2, Chapter 1. I, I think that that was a, a really nice touch that was really... I don't. I, I liked that a lot. I Stranger Things cribs a lot from a lot of places, and we'll talk about that later. But I, I really do like the notion of it's treating this second season as like a sequel to the first one, uh, but still like a thing unto itself. I think that's a really smart choice that they made, and I feel like it's a it's a little thing, but I, I liked that a lot. You know, in the same way that like a show like The Good Place, right, where they keep their thing and like it second season started and it started with just chapter fourteen that really shows that this is a continuation of one long story. I think that this is a subtly different, but I think really the a smart way to go. I like that a lot. Yeah. And also like tone wise, I've been comparing season two of stranger things to season one as like one usually compares the alien movie. So alien alien first one, yes. more horror survival horror ish feeling, um, more suspense and see in aliens much more action sci-fi. And that's kind of how season two felt to me. It's a little bit more action-oriented, definitely more epic, I would say. 
I, I could not agree more. Yeah, and like, and I'm not saying like, oh, this is this is inherently good or bad thing. It just has a very different feeling to the point where I'm very curious to see where season three is going to go, like atmospherically. Well, presumably it's going to feel a lot like Alien Resurrection, right? Oh God, I hope not. There's the there's that joke. <sighs> I was thinking about that joke in my head, and James made it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I want to actually talk more about that Aliens comparison uh, post-spoiler break. But no, I, I completely agree. I think it was really important that they separated these things like that because, yeah, thematically they feel very, very different. You know, you've still got like a lot of like kind of the, I don't know, like the, the high signs of, oh, it's a stranger thing. You know, you've got a lot of brand names as opposed to generics. You've got a lot of like, you know, settings that are, quote, the 80s, end quote, as opposed to necessarily feeling like, the 1980s um it's you know a lot of that stuff uh but yeah it's um it's a very different feeling kind of thing i felt there was definitely more um recognizable 80s music thrown in in pretty much every single episode like here's a song that we all know is super 80s yeah i think a lot of people do have kind of a they're like oh it's gimmicky oh it's distracting like we get it it's the 80s i don't necessarily have like a problem with it i don't find it super distracting but it's interesting that that's like a divisive thing yeah i didn't even know that was a divisive thing i didn't even know that was a thing i didn't know anything about this situation (laughs) every part of this is news to me (laughs) yeah no that's actually something that i i kind of take issue with um i i feel like the show has a lot of i i feel like as opposed to creating a setting that feels like a real place uh the show feels like it's set in the 80s again i the in the 80s as opposed to the 1980s which is fine i i don't think that's inherently a problem because i think that makes sense with a lot of the other stuff that the show does but it does feel a little bit weird to me it it's a bit sort of off-putting i don't know it it the show feels like it's set in the fictional setting in which 80s movies were set which makes some sense because it cribs a lot from 80s movies and 80s fiction and all that kind of stuff but um it's it's like as opposed to uh, a story told in the 1980s it's san junipero's like 80s setting yes yes i would agree with that um i i know that that bothers other people i know there are some people who that bothers a lot i think it bothers me a little bit um because i think when you look at everything else that the show is doing it makes sense that it's set in a fictionalized version of that time because it pulls so much from other fictionalized versions of that time, but it does create sort of like a weird feeling. Uh, okay. So wow, we're hitting our things that make sense to talk about post post spoilers quote up pretty fast, but, um, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, we can talk about the, um, the very beginning of the very first episode, the prologue and sort of what you guys thought of that, because the show doesn't start with us seeing anybody that we're familiar with. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I thought it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I, I was immediately drawn in. I think, you know, we, we marathoned all of Stranger Things Season 2, like, the day it came out uh, a few months back. And I just remember being like, what is happening? Who is this? I'm, I'm into this. I'm so down. Oh, my God, the number on her arm. <laughs> I... <laughs> And then I had a fainting spell, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corinne, hook, line, sinker. Did it did it get its claws into you guys in the same way? James, you said it felt weird, so I assume no. Well, I, not not that. I it, Not that it felt weird in the moment. I wouldn't say that I was, like, actively drawn in. But the big thing that was weird was that they, do, they set that up and then they just leave that shit alone for the next seven episodes. Yeah, and that's that's definitely something that we'll talk about more in detail after the spoiler break. There's, there's a certain amount of contention. I think we can generically say that season two had some interesting pacing choices. Yes. And mm-hmm. those pacing choices are divisive in a way that I am very familiar with, as opposed to the music choices, which I was not familiar with. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's a it's a cool scene. It's interesting. It I, I like that it sort of actively starts talking about something that you implicitly understood because she has an 11 tattooed on her arm there are at least 10 others it we all understood that from season one so it's good to get that out in the open at the beginning of season two and i appreciate that it made the the world bigger yeah right like this was hawkins and hawkins had everything you needed like uh like a shadowy government arm that was doing all the stuff and just like every little thing you needed was right there in hawkins and hawkins was all that existed and the world's bigger now. Yeah, I would argue that I, I don't know how much it does with that overall. Uh, but yeah, in that moment, it's an interesting thing. It, it sets up, I think it makes a, 
not a promise, but it it starts pointing at something that I don't know that the show delivers on. Uh, but yeah, I, I like the notion of starting. Yeah, to set it, that up, it feels though. like very much a, a future seasons, future plot lines kind of thing that they are trying to set themselves up for, whether or not they have a plan yet. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Cleo? Um, well, I will say that, I mean, it was engaging enough, given I loved the first season of Stranger Things. Um, and, like, I do, like, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think either season is perfect. Um, but this season and then also the show Mindhunter were the two things that motivated me enough to start watching shows again after I had my concussion, which probably <laughs> actually not a good thing considering I was supposed to be not looking at screens. Uh, <laughs> but I, w- it was really, I mean, pacing wise, yeah, I was a little bit meh at sometimes, but, um, I liked where most of the characters kind of went. I thought it was entertaining. I liked that they did the more epic stuff. I think it's interesting to have, to see all the different groups of characters. Cause you had the distinct, like you had the kids, you have 11, and Mike, and Dustin, and, um, Jesus Christ, Will, wait, and the actor's name is Caleb, and I can't remember his character name suddenly. Mike Lucas. Lucas, there we go. Um, and they're kind of their distinct group, and they have Max added in now. Um, and I like that Mike finally gets screen time. And that was one of those things, right, because when I was a little bit worried that they'd cast a a kid who was going to play this character who doesn't really have many lines. Like, he's curled up in a corner for all of season one, pretty much. And when you do see him. Uh, and he really... He was shining bright this season. Like, he had some really great moments. I thought he was a very strong actor, which you sometimes don't see when you have someone who's a minor character go and become, like, a full-blown major character in the sequel. And then I liked where the kind of teenage story it was going at times, at least. I mean, I think um, Steve was hilarious. There's, again, we can't, there's certain things we just can't really talk about yet. And then, like, the Joyce and Bob. Bob is our new character, played by Sean Astin. I have many things to say about Bob. What about uh, Bob? Which I will hold on to, but I, I just, I, I, I lost a bet, is what I'll say right now. <laughs> <laughs> I... I also have things to say about Bob, but I didn't lose a bet, so I think you win. <laughs> you win this one. Um, and then we also have, like, the new Hawkins Lab people, and uh, the guy whose name I don't remember, but new head scientist. I thought, I liked I liked his, I liked that he was different enough from Papa. Um, yeah. And then, I, I guess, like, again, there's a new, Eleven's dynamic was with a certain character i don't it's like a first episode reveal but i don't want to like there are other new characters we find them eventually yeah or there's new relationships i'll say there are like new dynamics that aren't explored in season one oh yeah yeah um that i find super duper interesting so we are already butting up against spoilers which i think makes a lot of sense because it it's a season of television so there's a lot of stuff that we would i think kind of consider to be spoilery because of the structure of it so i i think we should actually try and move into that pretty soon is there anything else broadly speaking that anyone wants to talk about uh and before we call that spoiler break i recommend it i really like season one i really like season two like stranger things is you know has its flaws i guess but is doing some really neat stuff and i really like the story that you know the stories we keep getting so watch it yeah all pretty much exactly the same uh, I, I don't recommend it. Uh, I think that Stranger Things is um, fine popcorn, uh, but I think that it's executed poorly, and I think that if it's going to be popcorn, you have to execute way better than this is doing. Uh, I, I don't like Stranger Things. I, I wasn't a big fan of the first season. Season two really solidified for me. Um, it is it is fine entertainment, but it is not... I, I don't think it's worth, worth your time. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I think there's some things I... I think in the same way that everyone says, like, you know, there's some things that it doesn't do great, I am I go the other way. I think there are some things it does well, uh, but those are the exception. Uh, none of which I can talk about until spoilers, so. Cleo? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, again, I, I feel like if we're talking specifically season two, if you like season one, then watch season two. I also, like, I think there are going to be people who feel strongly that they don't like it, but I think the majority of people who I've spoken to do like it, so I would recommend it, like, with the caveat that Obviously, not everything is for everyone. Uh, all right. So I, I really actually am very excited to get 
deeper into this. So I'm going to try and make the, the spoiler break um, short and sweet. Uh, this is our meddling kids topic. You are in the watch episode for Stranger Things. Next up is going to be Oxenfree by Night School Games and then the topic. And then we're going to be starting our next and final topic, which is going to be, we felt appropriately enough, endings. So we are going to be reading The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. We're going to be watching Labyrinth by Jim Henson. And we're going to be playing Passage by Jason Rohr. Uh, and we're going to be talking about endings and probably a little bit about the podcast overall. And I think that that'll be a nice way to sort of put a capstone on all this. But that is that is later. And this is going to be the spoiler break for Stranger Things Season 2. And break. So I don't actually have anything to say, but... Who is chomping at the bit to say something in particular? I thought Cleo was. I can talk about let's Bob. Let's talk about Bob. <laughs> Let, let's, let's talk about Bob. All right. So when I started watching it with my mom and my aunt while I was like bedridden, unable to like move my head. <laughs> and I got, re- so I was really invested because I was not consuming a lot of media at the time. It was all audiobooks and like two TV shows in like teaspoon doses I was, so Bob played by Sean Astin, Sean Astin being like an iconic 80s actor, kid actor, he was too good, too nice, oh, yeah. too, too pure, innocent and pure, and I was like, okay, he's evil. He is definitely working for Hawkins Lab, he's like a plant in Joyce's life, and which is like super fucked up, and he's there to like monitor them, and, or maybe he, and then I, I, my brain went to other places, like maybe he is possessed by, in part, by the, um, the, uh, the, the mind, what they're calling the mind flayer, because then he is also kind of one of the, he's the person who triggers Mike's confrontation with the mind flayer that ultimately gets him possessed. Uh, Will's. Will, sorry, not Mike. And so I, my mom and my aunt were both convinced that he also probably could, was evil. I was 100% convinced he was evil. My boyfriend was, who also was recovering from concussion, so we were both very, very invested in this, uh, was certain that he was just a good, he was a paladin, he was a good person, he was just genuinely kind of like a like a simple man with good intentions and we very much disagreed on this because I thought anyone who is portrayed as being that good can't possibly be like I am a pessimist but I also thought that I was also thinking they wouldn't bring on someone like Sean Astin if they're going to give him such a simple character like I thought like there's got to be a twist they're, if they're bringing on like a big actor then there's something, there's more depth to it than this. And then the episode comes, and I'm, I'm every single episode, I'm like, okay, he's evil, he's still evil, and there were certain things, like, there, when he's putting together the the map, like, it's a puzzle, and, like, trying to figure out where, um, of uh, fucking Jim? Hop, Hopper yeah, is, yeah. um, then that's, I, I started to get a little shaken, and then he fucking, like, sacrifices, he dies. Heroically. Well... He dies a hero, but he doesn't die heroically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In a terrible scene. Yeah. Yeah. He gets torn apart. I feel like I don't... I was still somewhat convinced that in the last, like, couple of episodes, like, somehow there would be a reveal that he was evil all along. Like, maybe he isn't dead. Like, I don't know. I was so attached to this idea that that Bob was fucking, like, Satan, basically. And... I... Uh, go ahead. I lost it really hard. But I also felt like they were setting it up to really seem like that. Like, he was just too... Maybe I am too much of a pessimist. Maybe I don't believe there are really, like, people who are just good and pure in the world. Uh, did you wage anything in this bet? Wager? Did you wager? Or did you wager anything in this uh, bet? E- w- e- yes. So uh, you actually did lose something. I did lose something. I will, Well, kind of. I don't really... I I don't remember the exact <laughs> probably because of the concussion. That's why I don't remember the exact thing that I <laughs> that's, lost. That's a fair excuse. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't that bad. It wasn't like oh my god, this I've wait like I've put something on the table that I can't bear to lose. It was just like something. It was something silly. I think I don't remember the exact nature of it, but it was more my dignity that was on the line and my like my supposed knowledge of all things storytelling related. 
so this is actually something I, I really wanted to talk about. And I'm super glad that you brought it up because it's this is something that I was thinking about a lot during the show. And I think that it plays into the thing that I think see, uh, Stranger Things does really well. That is a, a separate thing to talk about, but I can I can foreshadow it here. But I think that that whole notion of is Bob evil is a great, great way of making us feel Will and Jonathan's suspicion of their mom's new boyfriend. Um, I think that this is one of the ways that Stranger Things does actually a really good job of making us, of taking the, like, sci-fi elements of the show and using that to give us, like, to make us feel invested in human relationships. I think that it does a really good job there because we come in and we're suspicious of him and it's harder for us to see him through Joyce's eyes as just this good guy because for all those reasons that Cleo, you listed, like, he feels like, yeah, he's probably a bad guy. And it does such a good job of putting us in the shoes of, like, her kids who have, like, a, this notion of him as this new presence in their lives and that being suspicious that I feel like it can be hard to – you can sympathize with, but it's a lot harder to empathize with when you're watching that with another character because it's so much easier to pull yourself out and be like, yeah, their mom's a grown lady. She's, like, moving on. She it's, That's okay. That's her right as a person. But, like, to the kids, that notion of, you know, mom's dating, like, that, I, I feel like this does such a good job of making that feel, it, making us suspicious of him in the way that it feels like Will and Jonathan are. Because, yeah, no, I was, I was very much in the same boat as Euclid, where I was just like, mm, this guy's bad news. And then as the show goes on, and I started, like, warming up to him, it's just like, oh, well, no, maybe he's, maybe he's okay. And then, yeah, then he sets it up so that Will gets, like, infected by the Mind Flayer, and you're like, oh, no. Like, so he's either genuinely well-meaning and just fucked up, and I think Stranger Things also does a good job with adults can fuck up sometimes, and that's okay. But also, it's just like, oh, maybe he's a bad guy. I, they, they set him up in such an interesting way where he's either super pure or just super corrupt, and it can't be anywhere in between. Um, but you really don't know until like later on. I, I, I completely agree that that like that tension is interestingly done though. I stand by the scene where Bob dies is bad, like actively bad. Um, I don't understand why people in a monster infested building wouldn't just leave the building as soon as possible instead of standing there in relief. Like they weren't just running for their lives a minute ago. Right. And part of me is like, okay, no. So how how do I justify this? Right? Is it is this is this here to tell us that Bob is not a a thinker in this situation? He's not the kind of guy who's equipped to like deal with monsters. He doesn't think I better run away. But I don't think that works because even if he's so pure that he is ill equipped for this situation, which we've already established, because he forgets the gun, he doesn't know how to use the gun. He he saves everybody. He's on his way back, and you know that he's going to die like as soon as he sets himself up for this. But he does all these things. It, I'm on board with the notion that he's too pure for like the hard, gritty reality of monster fighting. But it doesn't make any sense that even someone like I'm not prepared for the hard, gritty reality of monster fighting. I think I would just I would close the door and then keep running. I cannot imagine a world in which even someone who is too pure for this doesn't just keep running away. It. I, I think my natural reaction would be keep running and don't stop. Just don't stop running. Just run, 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 run. The, until, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know, just forever, I guess. Also, can we talk briefly about the fact that it took those dogs the same amount of time to bust through the wooden door that it took them to bust through the super special glass? And then they couldn't bust through the glass that they just used on the front door of the building, but they could bust through, like, the super crazy glass that they used to, like, enclose the portal to the upside down? Like, it, it's these little things, I don't know, it... On one hand, I can let art flow over me. On the other hand, when you don't have bigger things to say and you're going to be popcorn, you need to get the little things right. And just to my mind, Stranger Things just keeps getting the little things wrong. And I don't know, that really bothered me. That That's fair. I think that I think that a majority of that entire sequence was uh, built upon, you know, what's convenient for where they want the story to go, not what makes actual sense. Yeah, which works when your story has something to say, but when it's just going, I I don't know. I, I have a way harder time being okay with that. I think if there are other stories in this genre that, and given I've, there's this very, I have a, a friend um, from the LARP world who classifies this genre as kids on bikes in the 80s. Um, so like 
is a big thing. It's having a big resurgence now also, but it's like Paper Girls, uh, the, the graphic novels, and then uh, Oxenfree, even I would classify kind of like ton- tonally, uh, which we'll be talking about later, and several other things. Uh, it, for instance. And I'm trying to think whether any of them really have something that's like, given we'll talk about Oxenfree at length later, but have something to say that is a little bit bigger than like entertainment in general. Like given like, I think there are moments and like there are certain relationships that are interesting to explore and that they do have like some meaning, but overall, would you say that this genre is something that tends to be more just like popcorn-y or, I mean, and then you have E.T., which any kind of like broader meaning or kind of moral or whatever is going to be very sentimental. Uh, I don't know. It's an interesting genre when you're trying to think about the impact of it on a, like a, on a, not necessarily a, like a moral, like here's the moral of the story way, but just like there's a deeper meaning to these things other than like they're fun to watch. Yeah, I would say on average they are popcorn. Uh, which I I, I want to make clear I, I don't use as a derogatory term. Like I, I think popcorn is good and fun and fine. I just think that when you're going to make popcorn, you have to do a better job making popcorn than uh, than I feel Stranger Things does. Uh, or you have the kind of things where it's it is something like say E.T. where you do have like a moral, but there it's almost more of like an explicit morality tale. Like it's it's very much on the surface of it. So I, I would say that's the big thing is I, I would say the gen, the broader kids on bikes in the 80s genre is um, about character relationships. It's like fun plots. It's fun to watch. Uh, I think that they do a great job dealing with themes and sort of exploring a theme. Um, but I don't think that exploring a theme necessarily means you get to just sort of like make arbitrary in the moment decisions to, to make your plot work. Um, I think that Stranger Things actually does a great job exploring themes, one theme in particular, uh, of family. Uh, I think that Stranger Things is an amazing show in that respect when it comes to looking at and dealing with the notion of family. I think the big problem there is it forgets that that's, like, the thing it's best at, and it insists upon splitting up the family at the beginning of every season, and then it takes them three quarters of the season to, like, start talking to each other again. Uh, I think to the point where it doesn't make sense again like it doesn't make sense to me that nancy wouldn't go and talk to joyce when she's feeling bad about barb i understand why nancy is frustrated because she can't go talk to her parents but instead of going and talking to like actual people who were there with her in the moment with whom she could commiserate with whom she could i don't it talk or share that experience or deal with it in some way uh, that instead she's forcing herself to just talk to Barb's parents every week with Steve, like, and then just like goes off like on her like crazy quest with Jonathan again, without talking to the other people who actually went through this with her doesn't make sense to me. And it feels like it's just because the show feels like it needs to split everyone up so they can all come back together in the end. But I think the show's at its strongest when it's a family of people who are having family moments. Um, I think there's a lot of great examples of this. Uh, Bob coming in as like a a potential stepfather figure for Will and Jonathan or just even as like a new member of the family who they are anxious about. Eleven and Hopper and like a father-daughter relationship is super interesting. It Even like the villains of the show, right? Like I would say this is a show about bad dads, right? <laughs> You've got Will and Jonathan's dad who leaves. You've got Papa who is like explicitly, you know, the baddest dad of all. Um, you've got, uh, uh, oh, um, what's his name? Uh, Max, Max and her stepbrother, uh, Max's stepdad who, and oh my God, I think we should talk about the scene with Max's brother and his dad later. Cause I think that's one of the best scenes in this season. Uh, this show is very yeah. much about bad dads. Even season one that deals with uh, Hopper and his daughter and, like, the family he used to have and the way that he feels towards that family. It This is a very familial show. And then when it creates those families with Hopper and Joyce and then all the kids and then even, like, as uh, like as Steve kind of comes in via Nancy and then in this season sort of steps up into, like, an older brother role, I, Stranger Things does family so well but insists on saving it for the last two episodes, and it makes everything before that just feel bad to me. Um, I don't know. That was so frustrating for me because it, when it does it, it does such a good job, I, and I really think that. 
but I don't know. That was that was something that was difficult for me. But so I, I think though that that that's I guess my point when it comes to the kids on bikes in the eighties. I don't think they tend to have bigger things to say unless it's very explicit, and that's fine. But what they do a great job of is exploring a theme. And Stranger Things, for whatever reason, refuses to explore its best theme until the last two episodes of a season. I think it's just they see it as a very like a very simple and straightforward way to create an amount of tension because only certain sections of of the family are getting enough information and they can't possibly know everything until they all get together and blah, blah, blah. And that's just kind of lame. Like, in the first season, it works because they're spending the time to set up the family. And obviously, all of these people are spread apart in the ways that they're spread apart for for explicit reasons that make perfect sense. And then at the end of the season, they come together and you're like, okay, great. This, like, found family has been created and they, they are a support structure for each other because they all know what happened and how bad it was and, and they have these experiences. And then it's just like a soft reset. We, we come into this season and everybody's like, well, everybody just drifted apart because time went on and they didn't have anything else. So they just like did their own thing. And I'm like, no, that no. <laughs> and it just it feels like because it was the easy thing to do it, is to go back to the same structure they had last season. Ultimately, I I don't know that I necessarily agree with it's the easy thing to do. My concern, it, the thing that it felt a bit more to me like is the thing that you see, I think, really often when you have something that becomes very popular very quickly, uh, which is that the creators are then put in a position where they need to really analyze what made the first, that thing that became popular, popular. Um, and when you are on a pretty quick timetable to turn around a season of television, uh, and have that all out and ready for the next year. I think that the easy way out from that, well, again, easy is not even the right word. It's it's just more of a question of having the time to really think about what made season one such a thing. You just don't have the time, so instead you just make it again. And Which is why I, I think that it's one of the things that makes season two really hard for me is that uh, Stranger Things has always been super derivative of a lot of things. I, I think in all the ways that I, I talked about meddling kids as being inspired by Scooby-Doo and Lovecraft, uh, season things, uh, season things, Stranger Things literally pulls scenes and moments from other stuff. And for whatever reason, this is considered to be a good thing, which is baffling to me because I don't appreciate, I don't understand the fun of, oh, I recognize this. This is that scene from E.T. when Dustin like lays out a trail of baloney for Dart to follow. I'm like, yeah, exactly. It's the scene from E.T. That's dumb. That's not creative. That's not interesting. Like we all get it. We've seen E.T. It, I don't know. I, that, that to me is not fun, but that's fun for a lot of people apparently. So I, that's fine. I just don't understand it. But Stranger Things is frustrating because it already feels very derivative. And now season two feels derivative in because it is copying other kids on bikes in the 80s, but it's also copying itself. It's just redoing season one. Everyone has to split up and come together in the end as opposed to like progressing from it. I, I don't know. That was something that was also really hard for me. And I, I guess maybe I go back. Maybe you were right with that notion of it's, it's easier. But, but it's, it's easier for like a very specific reason which I think is very important to lay out. Yeah, and I don't know. That's at least what I felt. Maybe I'm wrong. Like, I, I wasn't in the writer's room. But um, I don't know. It feels like it was that notion of just like, I, I don't really know what made this really good to build on that, so let's just do it again, and that'll buy us a year to figure it out. But I don't know. I that, that didn't feel good to me. I guess out of all of the splitting up that happened, I would say Eleven's journey to me, I guess, felt the most authentic, given yeah, what, I'd agree with that. what we've all just discussed. Yeah, if, if that was unchanged, but the other, like, f like the everybody else was kind of communicating and everything, that would have felt totally earned to me, I think. Yeah. I Though I will say, I, I thought that episode was, like, poorly written and structured, but I, I liked the idea of it a lot. Uh, I thought the execution wasn't amazing, but on, on paper, I think that was really good. Well, I was you mean Eleven's, like, overall, like, the fact that she separated from yes. everyone in general, right? Yeah. Eleven's, like... Oh, oh. Eleven's whole, like... I guess arc this this season felt very authentic to me. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. I thought I thought you were talking about like the the literal episode when she takes a trip. But yes, no, I, I agree with that as well. I agree with the thing that I thought you were saying and the thing that you were actually saying. <laughs> Great. Um, actually, it, while we're while we're around that, do we want to talk about Eleven for a bit? I I think we should definitely talk about that that one episode at least briefly, just because it's such a 
such a different thing from the rest of the season. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I feel like this is a clear and good segue to both talk about Eleven in general and to start off by talking about that episode. Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good idea on paper, but not executed super well. I don't even know if I, if I think it was that good of an idea on paper. Like, I, I guess I think having Eleven go through this journey of, of leaving everybody, of leaving Hawkins, of trying to find out more about herself and her past and, and, and these other, these other girls or these other kids, um, I think all of that sounds good on paper. I just think the idea of having this like single late game in the middle of things episode that that just pauses the story and picks up this other part of the story was like a like a really weird and really weird choice and I think that's one of the big things that that most that a lot of people have a problem with when it comes to talking about pacing issues and stuff with the show is how this episode feels kind of like dropped in and a little out of place. Remind me the the other number was eight not six right because i definitely got it my mom and my aunt and i all saw different numbers on her wrist in the first episode and like couldn't agree on whether she was eight or six for a while eight. yeah I, I do think it's eight yeah okay just double checking i like the idea i like the idea of her character and the role she plays kind of in eleven's life and like her kind of realization about who she really is as a person and like who she wants to be but i i don't know if i love this standalone episode format i kind of wish that if she was going to be involved she would have been woven in a little bit more because i would have liked to have seen more what like an ongoing impact she would have had on eleven's story arc and what you know eleven's impact on her story arc she feels more like a device than a character in a lot of ways because i don't know and given i don't i really wanted to like that i think i also was very annoyed by the other characters who were in like a part of that one shot type thing i didn't really it was a little i had to suspend my disbelief in a way that felt kind of jarring just for that entire episode i'm also not a huge fan of like the warriors which i know that was like all like a that whole episode was like a reference to that so uh, I was going to say that a lot of the a lot of the criticism I I saw related to this episode was about uh, just what it did to the overall pacing of the show, and I'm pretty on board with the general consensus that it would have been better if they had broken it up and had this sort of happening throughout the season as opposed to just lump sum dumping it on us in a single episode. Yeah, yeah. If it had been structured in such a way that like. Uh that she was easily accessible for Eleven. Um, that maybe that she was like closer to Hawkins than she actually was, and so she could kind of have been wandering off and doing this while other things were going on. or Because or, I think we definitely would have lost out if Eleven like pieced out in Episode 2 and then popped back up in Episode 8. And while she was gone, all of these things happened. Yeah, I, I actually, bizarrely enough, wasn't super opposed to the, uh, the do-it-all-in-one-episode shtick. Um, I... Uh, the thing that I kind of liked about it was that, like, from the beginning, you knew that she was going to come back. Like, in, in no world was Eleven just going to leave forever. And it felt like that was, like, the big weighty decision for a lot of it. Um, so I kind of liked that we were able to get through that very quickly. And it was that, like, no, yeah, like, it, we, we all know she's coming back. So we're only going to spend ten minutes being like, oh, my God, is she going to come back? And it's like, no, yeah, like, that's fine. But, um, which which I did think was sort of a nice side effect to to doing that in, like one go altogether yeah i wasn't actually as uh, as opposed to it all being one one episode as as i've seen a lot of other people being i didn't i wouldn't say that i actively liked it that way but i didn't i didn't actively dislike that either all right well i guess the the i guess it either needed to be a little bit more tightly done of an episode or it needed to be interspersed throughout the i i, I think that the yeah. what it comes down to is that it needed one fix or the other fix like it was it could have been okay but it, its execution left it wanting yeah no I, I i'd agree with that for sure and i also definitely see the argument that that it creates an awkward pacing to it i, I i'm certainly on board with that notion i i agree that objectively it does feel kind of weird just for whatever reason it didn't bother me as much but i i think it's a very very valid argument i guess zooming out from that episode we can kind of talk about um Eleven's, you know, development over the course of the season, which I guess kind of culminates in that episode. 
as she tries to find her real family, her secondary family, and then the, like, family that she's put together that we've seen. Which was her real family all along. And there's there's the message. <laughs> what storytelling? I'm sorry, I, that that one was actually mean. That wasn't a that wasn't a thoughtful criticism. That was me being mean. I'm sorry. But I mean, overall, especially like I think a lot of people came out of the season not just liking Eleven's development, but um, particularly liking the relationship that forms between her and Hopper. I also liked her makeover in the standalone episode. That was great. I mean, as a as a juxtaposition for the makeover in season one, yes, it's it's pretty satisfying. Yeah. yeah, I hope in season three it happens again, except she looks like Bowie. Yeah, and and I, the the operative word should probably be pretty again. I don't know. Like, I one of the things that I like is how it goes from pretty being the word of focus to bitchin' being the word of focus in the in the. Uh, We're going Bowie. We should just go celestial. Yeah. There we go. Doesn't roll off the tongue as well, but you know it gets at the heart of the the aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say I, I very much agree that I really liked her relationship with Hopper to the to the point where I would say that the culmination of Eleven's arc for me was was not that standalone episode. It was that one scene where she and Hopper are riding in the car together um, to go to the lab. I think that that was like the. For me, that was the culmination of that arc. That's what that was leading up to, was not just that moment of realization that, oh my god, they were my family all along, but like that moment where she actually has to like sit and reconcile with Hopper the feelings that they've had as they've been living together, and both of them sort of have to deal with this new family that they've found themselves a part of. I think it's one of those moments where I, I, I could talk a bit about this with regards to bad dads uh, in the same way that this is a show about bad dads this is a show that really doubles down on the thing that makes a male character attractive is being good with children um <laughs> oh my god just all the time and that's fine because i think this is a show about family and that's fair so anyone being good with family makes them a good person right it's what makes us like gradually like bob more is that he's so good but that's also what makes him suspicious because no one's that good uh, this is what makes us understand in the first season that Steve is an asshole because he's mean to Nancy's brother and his friends. And what makes us understand that uh, Jonathan is a good guy because he's really tight with Will. So he's good with kids. So that makes him really attractive to Nancy. And now in the second season, Steve becomes more attractive to Nancy as soon as he starts being like an older brother figure to her brother and his group of friends. Suddenly this character who she has made very clear the entire rest of the season she is not in love with. Now he becomes actually attractive because he's good with kids. All the time throughout the show, but which again is fine. That's the show's point of view. And I think that's a really interesting thing to engage with. Uh, but so again, we see that right where we've seen Hopper and we're like, oh, we don't know how we feel about Hopper because he's he's trying his best with Eleven, but clearly it's not working. And that's interesting. And they have this moment of reconciliation in the car. And that's really good. And that's how we know he's good because see, it's him being good with a kid. But I, I think that that moment for me was really good. Like I was, I was sitting watching it with with my girlfriend, and we were we were in the middle of like talking about something else that we were frustrated about leading up to that. And then we just stopped our conversation like mid sentence to watch that scene, and we were just like, okay, no, that scene was really good, but we're still frustrated with a lot of this other stuff. But that scene is really good. That is to me the culmination of Eleven's arc, and I think Hopper's arc. Just that moment where they actually have to deal with the fact that. Hey, you know, we're, we're family now. And then they beat you over the head with it later when he formally adopts her. But that's, that's its own thing. And I mean, ultimately I, I'm, I'm, that's one thing that I'm like definitely willing to forgive. That's like probably, it's one of those things where it's going to eventually be plot necessary for something like this to have happened. Probably. But I mean, it's also, I mean, again, it, it's cribbing pretty hard from, I don't, it just feels like Annie. I don't know. That, that's that's a, that's a reach. I'm gonna say that one's a reach. <laughs> Look at her fucking hair. She's Annie. She's little orphan Annie. They pulled her away from the bad orphanage where Papa made her do bad things. It gave her to to Daddy Warbucks Hopper. <laughs> I Hopbucks. I do not think that the culmination of all of this being plucky little girl finds a new dad who formally adopts her in the end being like Annie is a reach. I, I'm not saying they're directly ripping off Annie, but I don't think it's a reach to make the comparison. 
No, it's just I don't think a- it's necessarily a bad thing, though, because I do think, like, if they didn't have, like, a formal adoption thrown in there, and it is kind of, like, a little bit of a throwaway. It's like they had to have it, or else people are going to be saying, well, how is he going to take care of her? She's just going to keep living in a hole forever? Like... But yeah, that's the th- like, that's the thing, especially with it with um, it's it's one of those things where I could see it's just like people's suspension of disbelief is going to start becoming a problem if it uh, if it didn't happen. This is a show about a fictional upside down world that has like I I don't know I yeah, but we live in a world where people like to pick apart gravity and space fantasy. So like yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not saying it was actively bad. I'm saying it was banging you over the head with what. It, it it made the subtext text, and that's bad storytelling, is is what I'm saying, is we already understood that Hopper had become Eleven's new father figure. And then at the end, in case you didn't get that, he literally becomes her legal father. For a show that I would say has a pretty strong track record of questioning the authority of legal entities, that it chooses to make its subtext text by making their relationship legal is just awkward to me. I feel like this show did something to you, James, that you're not revealing. There's some, like, other hidden thing that this show is, is some button is pushing in you, and we're not going to be able to find it out until the topic episode, probably, because we're getting on to 55 oh. minutes, but I'm very curious about what it is. There's something, there's, like, a little hidden, like, stone or thorn it, like, put in your side. I, it, honestly, it's it's genuinely just that, um, I, I, I can summarize it pretty briefly, um, it's, I, I just don't think it executes very well, and I don't think it has anything to say, and I think it's highly derivative. And I think when you are highly derivative, you need to justify being derivative by either executing super well or having something to say. Uh, this is actually the context that I was thinking about this with regards to The Last Jedi, uh, right? So Force Awakens and Last Jedi are both highly derivative films, but both of them, I think, are excellent. Force Awakens doesn't have anything to say because J.J. Abrams doesn't know how to say anything with a movie but he makes really good exciting engaging movies he executes so well on being derivative that it makes that derivation okay because the movie is super well executed last jedi not super well executed but it has things to say it uses all of those points of derivation to make a new point and that makes it okay that it doesn't execute like at you know 110 percent all the time both of those things justify their derivation and make the result really, really good. I don't think that Stranger Things uses its derivation to either either as a shortcut to let it just execute super well or as base material to then go and say something new. Um, that's the thorn in my side to the entire thing is it feels – it does not justify the fact that I don't think, hey, look, it's a pastiche of – all these other things that came before it, don't you love the 80s? Uh, I don't think that justifies that as a as a premise for a show. Uh, that's, that's the thing that bugs me. It's interesting because the thing that universally I found with people who love the show and like love this genre in particular, um, it's not... And I have a few uh, friends who are just like, this is their genre. This like kids, supernatural stuff. 80s, maybe not 80s, but like the the feel that kind of feeling, that nostalgic tone that seems to be very prevalent uh, in these 80s settings, and that thing that like really, the thing that they always cite as being the number one reason they love it is this idea of like friendship and these close friend groups, and they're getting into trouble and going on to an adventure on adventures. Bleh, they are going on adventures together, um, and that they're there for each other, and it's just it's this idea of friends who are always hanging out. Thing, which is like, it's a little bit that whole. Given everybody has a friend group that in childhood who they're usually seeing every day because of school, but I think people as they get older, maybe miss, or in, potentially romanticize and idealize a time when you were seeing you had a group of people and you saw them on a regular basis and it wasn't like work to go see them and you have this friend group that is like family, um, and. I don't, that's definitely one of the appeals of the show to me, um, is just kind of like friends going on adventures. I mean, the same thing with like the Goonies, right? Which is a big inspiration, I guess, for, I mean, it's always cited as, um, one of the kind of sources of inspiration for the Duffer brothers and for many of the actors, like why they wanted to get involved. Um, and I'm, now I'm curious actually, James, what your, your, uh, opinion on the Goonies is. I I don't have a problem with The Goonies because The Goonies is its own movie. Like, The Goonies isn't, like, 
pulling together a bunch of tropes from other things and pointing at it like, hey, you love the Goonies, right? It it just made its own movie. I think all the themes that you're talking about would be great. I just wish Stranger Things didn't like just made its own actual scenario as opposed to just cribbing wholesale from other movies, Stephen King and I guess just other kind of culture from the time, you know? It, it even feels more like I, I mean, I genuinely enjoy it <clears throat> and I, I recognize all of these problems and they don't, I, I think it's just that they don't bug me in the same way or, or as much, but they're, they're particularly glaring in a world where it came out this year and was very popular and literally starred one of the Stranger Things kids is like how much Stranger Things is, is cribbing from the stuff of the time. I don't know. Like seeing right there one of those things from then being adapted and that the source material itself was was more original at the time and that the um we we can watch those things happening in stranger things and they don't feel as earned yeah because someone else already did it right uh one thing though that i will say i i because i i guess i sort of want to focus on the fact that i there were things that i think it did really well and while i'm down on it as a whole um the one other thing that we talked a little bit about briefly before that I do think it does a really good job with is um, Max and her stepbrother and her stepdad. Because I think the, like, two, three-minute scene where Max's stepdad comes in and just is terrible to her stepbrother takes her stepbrother from being generically mysterious and a dick to being an actual interesting character in no time flat. I thought that that was really good and really well done. Um, again, family thing. Again, bad dads. Uh, the things where the show, like the the show, is good at. But yeah, I I thought that scene was, I thought that scene was spectacular. It takes her stepbrother from being just a dick to being someone where you understand why he's a dick, but it doesn't make everything okay. It doesn't make it better. He's still choosing to react in the way that he is. But now that you understand why he wants to make that choice. I think that makes him way more interesting. And suddenly it sets him up as, is he going to come around? Is he going to have like a Steve moment where he becomes like an older brother figure? Or is he going to double down and like continue this cycle of abuse? And in all the ways that his dad is making his life shit, he's going to then go and push that back onto Max. I I think that they made his character super interesting in no time. And that I thought was a really good, interesting storytelling turn. I want to see more stuff like that. It's uh, it's not nearly as, it doesn't have the same depth to it. But speaking of of not even character motivations, but character development, I guess um, we also only talked about this briefly. But I would just like to share my absolute love for Perfect Mom, uh, Steve Harrington, who I, I don't know, just the the older brother, mom, good dad figure, which is just the the internet has taken to calling him a perfect mom. Um, that he developed by the end of the series and how like how earnestly and seriously he was like no i i said i was going to take care of you i'm going to fucking take care of you like i just i really really enjoyed a lot of that yeah steve got really good this season he stepped up and took responsibility for some children which meant the show was allowed to portray him as attractive and uh that yeah made for a better character i'm glad that they didn't have billy follow the same arc as steve did because steve in the first season was kind of like bad jock character kind of like turns good and charming and like is actually a good guy at the end even though like severely flawed and kind of clueless and does shitty things and season two i kind of like billy was definitely there to replace him and fill in that role but they didn't make him become good at the end yeah like they explicitly did not do that yeah, and I think if they had it wouldn't it wouldn't have worked. Like with Steve, he was he was like a dick, but they didn't the more I thought about it, the more it felt like they didn't make Steve do anything like so viciously reprehensible that like giving him a redemption arc would feel bad. But if they were to give Billy that same like kind of redemption, I it would feel gross and bad and wrong. Yeah. Well I mean Billy has an actual villain that he needs to overcome in the coming seasons. So I, I think that's the big thing for me, right? Is that he, he needs to overcome his shitty ass dad. And... Oh, I thought you were going to say his mullet. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> that's the, that's the mini boss. That's before. the real villain. Yeah. But 
I do think that he's a very strong actor and that he brought something really kind of interesting to that role. And that role could have fallen very, very flat. Um, but he was very intense, which was exactly what that character needed. I completely agree. Yeah, it's a it's a credit to this actor who we first saw in the phenomenal Power Rangers film. Yep. Which is just a hill that I will die on. I fucking love Power Rangers 2017. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, I, I, I really hope that they're setting him up to be a character with like an actual, like with story arcs in the future. I don't want to say with an actual story arc. That makes, I feel like that makes it sound like I was unhappy with his story arc this season. But more that they continue that, right? That that they have a, a goal. Yeah, I, I hope that he gets to, to go somewhere. Um, I, I think that they did a really good job of laying a lot of groundwork for it. Um, I think setting up that relationship with his dad, I think the language that they used in a bunch of scenes, I think that the way that they had... Uh, certain characters acting towards him in a bunch of scenes i think i don't know i have got like a handful of theories about him as a character that i think if it hearing that they do a good job with him as a character moving forward is the kind of thing that could get me to watch season three of stranger things you know so that's that was going to be my question um you've expressed interest in the future of certain specific things but is there anything like, is there anything right now without hearing otherwise that, that would, like, that would get you to want to watch season three, right? Do you have, like... It needs to be more original. I mean, that's the big thing, which is hard because I think for a lot of people that derivation is central to what is a stranger thing. That, But that would honestly be it for me. Like, I, my, my frustration right now is that it, I want it to put the things that it does well into the entire series and not just the last couple of episodes. I want it to stop being as derivative as it is. Those are the things that I would I would need to see. But frankly, as it is right now, I just don't feel that it's worth nine hours of my time uh, to get to the good stuff. Yeah. But it is the kind of thing where, frankly, if I had more time, I would be really happy to deal with the frustrating parts to get to the good bits and be like, no, this is this is the thing that has like a really cool, interesting angle. But it, when time is precious, it's a lot harder for me to make that argument. Yeah, when you're to watch, to play, and to read list is uh, can get as long as it is it's hard to prioritize the the more i think that's what actually frustrates me the most is that when the show is really at its best i like it a lot um it's just that i it falls to me so decidedly on that i i don't know it would be one thing if it was just like actual garbage but it's not like it's it's that it's genuinely really good and it's just frustrating to the point where it's hard for me to say like i'm going to keep up with it but i I want the best for it. I want all those things that it does really well to really come forward because there's some really good stuff here. But I don't know. I think that's what bothers me. Season three just scraps the monster angle altogether and it just becomes a family drama. And then James (laughs) decides to watch it wholeheartedly. Or just does a better job with the sci-fi. Like I really like the sci-fi as like a way to get at family stuff. I think it does a really good job with that. And that's hard to do, right? Like that's really hard to do. I don't know. And I, I mean, the thing is, I think what's most frustrating for me and why a season three that still has all the same flaws as season one and two would be a lot more frustrating for me than these first two have been is that they've they've done the setup work, you know, like they've they've been derivative all this time. And yes, that that derivative nature is sort of like folded into Stranger Things, but they've also done the work to create this, you know, fictionalized 80s town universe that that they could so easily be move out of that and, and embrace everything that they've cre- actually created and double down on focusing and in on all that stuff. I think it would also be really cool if they just kind of... it. If the last thing they cribbed from Stephen King was they pulled an it and they jumped, like, way into the future, like a mix of, like, it and Mad Men... And just season three is set in the early 2000s or like something like that. And it's them coming back to deal with the mind flare. I don't know. I That could be interesting just because it deals with that and putting the family back together. I I don't know. I That would be very it. Yeah, yeah. Like not, not the adaptation or not the remake, but like the book and also the uh, Kim, Tim Curry mini or miniseries it was a tv yeah. thing it was two miniseries yeah and the upcoming sequel yeah yeah i would i would honestly love something like that um if they were just like all right cool like i mean and you know, season three is gonna have to happen i guess and it'll be what it is and then and then we just get a 15 year gap 
and then it comes back to whatever streaming platform has superseded Netflix and the kid, all the actors come back and we just do it. Oh, again. you want it in real time? Honestly, yes, <laughs> but only because I'm obsessed with so, that. Like so like a boyhood, boyhood yeah. And yeah, like, um, or, uh, I mean, we could do the flip side is the crown, right? The crown is, is portraying different eras of this rule with completely new casts. Yeah. I was thinking more like the crown, but I, which is more realistic. I I can't imagine they're just going to be like, all right, we're going to take a 15 year break from, uh, stranger things. See you. See you then. Like that's, it's not a thing. Yeah. I, I don't like the idea of of like saying goodbye to Millie Bobby Brown as Eleven, so I think that that's just a bad idea. So I'm going to veto. I think that's fair. I, the big thing for me is just it. any of those gimmicks, like the gimmicks aren't what would get me back. It would really have to be, they need to, I don't know, it, they need to get their house in order. You is, have 15 years to solve thing. storytelling. Go. Yeah. It. That's the big thing for me. Just it. do your own thing. Like, clearly the people working on this are talented enough that they don't just have to crib scenes from other people. Like, right? I don't know. That's all I want. I, I, I want them to, like, actually just make their own thing that's not so embedded in... Pastiche. Yeah. I don't know. We I don't, want Mike we don't to need be... the Zoinks River. We were fine yeah. with, with Sleepy Lake. I, I would say yes. That's what I want. I want Mike to be less of a pill. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that. We got, like, we got this, like, great new characterization for Steve, and then Mike season two was just constantly the worst. And that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be, like, that big of a deal. Like, I'd be fine with Mike being the worst if it wasn't for the fact that Eleven is all about Mike. And that says, and, like, that reflects poorly on her, and that makes me angry. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's definitely a, a lot of like only girl shit in in this that is that is kind of frustrating. That like they get really close to actively dealing with, but um, that never quite works out. But yeah, th- this notion that there's only room for one girl in like that core cast of characters, I really hope that they, I don't know, it. I understand where they're coming from. Why Mike or Eleven might feel that way. I I think it's fine. I think they need to get over that real fast, though. Yeah, they, they have set up what is now a core cast of characters that includes two girls. And that should just be the case. And there should not be tension about it. And we should be done. Or they should include two more girls and also there's still no tension about it. And then we'll have an equal number of men and women in this tiny children group. Yes, I mean, by we should be done, I mean, we should be done with the girls fighting over being the only girl. And yes. about all the boys agreeing there should be only a girl. There should only be one. Yeah, this is this is not a Highlander situation. This is not one of the 80s references that is OK to crib in this situation. Yeah. yeah how about how about we uh, how about we how about in recreating the, the 80s? We also don't recreate the. Uh, the uh, Smurfette problem. Yeah. yeah. The the token girl in the group. Yeah. Where that is her personality trait, that she is she is the one who is a girl. Yep. Yeah. Which, at, at least they haven't done that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're towing that line, though. Right there. But I, I think that's one of the things that they had actually, if, if, like, Max had been that kind of character, I mean, one, I don't think any, I don't think it really would have worked, but also I would have been actively mad and probably I, that would have been something that would have made me actively dislike season two i think all right uh let's let's end on a more positive note because i feel like i i kind of dominated this and that was sort of unfair because three of us actively liked this and only one of us actively disliked it and i feel like it's a lot easier to vent frustrations than it is to like talk about positive things so let's let's go out on something more positive does anyone have like a thing that they really liked or that they wanted to highlight for something like that I feel like we we sprinkled all the positive stuff we had to say in throughout all of the negative stuff you had to say. So yeah, you know. I mean, if I if I was gonna circle back to something, I sorry, Cleo, but I really appreciated that that Bob was good and pure and not big evil man. There was a Stranger Things I don't, LARP freeform. It might have been a freeform game or mini LARP situation. There's these terms; they all bleed into each other. That was a run at Dreamation last year and i really hope i tried to get in but it was full um and i really hope they're doing it again because i think it's something that would i think it'd be interesting to see what people 
value in this genre and in this like universe um, by seeing what they play on in a game. Like what, what kind of stories they try to tell if they're just given like the bones of the universe and like some character concepts. Uh, so I'm very much hoping to play that at one point. Cool. Do we have any other like good things to say? I think this is a really strong cast. I do. Especially with kids. I I, it, go, it can go so badly with kid actors. I mean, like, not to be this person, but I have to be this person. Look at the Harry Potter movies, like the early ones, at least. I, I just, I don't think that that cast was right. Um, I still don't. And so whenever there's, like, a thing where it's, like, a majority of the major characters are kids, I get nervous because I just think, oh, God, what if it's this again? But this is a good cast. Um, Finn Wolfhard's, like got some kind of crazy following now that I would really like to see Finn Wolfhart uh, star as Pony Boy in a remake of The Outsiders. <laughs> I'd actually like to see all those kids just, in a remake of The Outsiders. I rewatched, three, that was three. another thing I watched during my concussion. <laughs> the Outsiders. Suddenly it's like the 60s and everyone's like in a greaser gang. I'm sure they'll do an episode about it eventually. I'm into it. <laughs> all right. So Shadri things yep. kids greaser gang we're done that's that's, that's it our, that's in our aspirations list that's, that's our note <laughs> all right so that's gonna do it for our, our discussion of stranger things season two come back next time when we talk about uh, night school games as oxen free and then we'll be doing a topic and then we'll be on into endings uh, until then though thank you so much for listening thanks for listening to this episode of read watch play if you want to help us out the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show you can also rate and review us on itunes if you want to follow us on social media you can find us at rwp podcast on twitter and like us at facebook.com slash rwp podcast Our listeners don't need to know that. It'll give them too much power over us somehow. They'll be able to, like, summon us with our true names.